And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. Today, what I want to do is uh, is go through a question and answer session with you. And so at Hope, we've been offering a Q&A via Zoom over the last couple of weeks since the overturning of Roe v. Wade on June 24th. And some of you got to be on those calls, and it's been great. Uh, some of you might not have been able to to make it, or even last Friday I had a, a family uh, emergency kind of come up that I had to leave and wasn't able to complete the last Zoom call. And so what I wanted to do today is is kind of have that call for you. And so answer questions that have come in and, and, and give some clarity to some things. I, I've spoke at different churches. I was at Concord a, a few weeks ago. I was at uh, Calvary Baptist, First Baptist, or Calvary Baptist um, this past Sunday, answering some questions and, and bringing some clarity. And so I thought, what what better way to do that than on our podcast? Let's do a you know thirty five minute, forty minute kind of breakdown of answering some questions, bringing some clarity to the to the situation, and and then this way we can we can have a resource that we point people to as they have those questions. So first and foremost, obviously. We're, we're currently in a post-row era. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, you can listen to the past uh, few shows as I go into the detail of how we ended up here, what that means, uh, and, and the like. But, but today what I want to do is focus more on the questions that we've been getting. And so just like anything, when things occur uh, in our society, in our country, uh, it brings about questions. And, and when we think about the work that we're doing at Hope Resource Center, we think about the work that, that is happening around the country when it comes to life and abortion, when, when something as major as Roe, that's been a fixture in our, in our society, that's been a fixture for uh, a generation now, as abortion is the law of the land, abortion is a, is a right, uh, and then on June 24th, that all changes well, of course, some confusion comes in. Of course, some angst and anxiety comes in and, and, and fear and worry from people that are, that are pro-abortion of what are we going to do now? From, from pro, folks that are pro-life, how do we keep the momentum going? From folks somewhere in between of what's this mean for me? What's this mean for my family? What's this mean for my wife, for my daughter, for my girlfriend, for my grand, granddaughter? Whatever that looks like. We're at a place now where we're in a post-row era, so, so what are we going to do and, and how do we talk about it? So, so what I want to do today is just help equip and educate as we talk through these issues. And, and one of the biggest questions that we have received over the past uh, few weeks, and really one of the biggest things that's been talked about uh, in our society, is uh, ectopic pregnancies. We've, we, we've heard it talked about on the news. We've heard people talk about it, uh, you know, blue checks on Twitter talk about it. We've heard people talk about it in, in hearings in, in Washington. Uh, in, in hearings in state houses. And so why is ectopic pregnancy becoming kind of a, a focus? Uh, well, first, I, I want to give some context. I have been debating this issue of abortion and life for 20 years. And, and why is that? Well, it's because when I went to college, uh, I was a political science major, and, and really all of my political science classes uh, kind of gave room for debate and dialogue. And I have been pro-life and, and anti-abortion 
this entire time. And so I spent my early 20s debating folks on the issue of life and abortion. Uh, I, I did that when I worked at the legislature. I, I've done that when when I moved to to Knoxville, whether it be you know as a kids minister or uh, working at the University of Tennessee, and now of course since 2015 working at Hope Resource Center. So I have debated this issue with a number of different folks uh, that as 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 we have gone through this. And at no point in any of those conversations, at no point in any of those debates, at no point in any of those classes at at, at MTSU in Middle Tennessee, did anyone ever bring up ectopic pregnancy to me? At no point. At no point did anyone ever believe, or at least make it known to me, that, that they believed ectopic pregnancy was an abortion. At no point did anyone ever say, hey, if a woman has a miscarriage and then has to go to uh, the emergency room to get care, that whatever procedure they perform is an abortion. At no point did anyone make that comment or, or say that. Why? Because they knew that it wasn't what we were talking about. It wasn't what we traditionally talk about when we, when we talk about uh, abortion. But then you, you bring in June 24th and the overturning of Roe. And, and now, all of a sudden, ectopic pregnancy is at the top of the list. Why? Because they want to create confusion. Why do they want to create confusion? Because now they can no longer simply say it's a right of a woman. They no longer can say it's a constitutional right. They no longer can say it's the law of the land. And so now they need to create confusion because there's a lot of people trying to figure out what this means. Frankly, there's a lot of people in our society that don't even know what an ectopic pregnancy is. And so when we're having these discussions and conversations, it's important to know the definitions and terms that we're dealing with. Even the other day in a committee hearing in D.C., you had a congresswoman say, that ectopic pregnancy was an abortion. That is not true. At the very least, it points to ignorance. And at, at the worst case, it points to purposely misleading people to create confusion. So purposely telling lies to create confusion. So what is an ectopic pregnancy? An ectopic pregnancy refers to any pregnancy that is implanted outside the uterus, most commonly in the fallopian tube. By the time an ectopic pregnancy has been discovered, usually by seven to eight weeks, the embryo has died in the majority of cases. However, the supporting tissues for the pregnancy often continue to grow and can cause life-threatening bleeding, either through rupture of the fallopian tube or other mechanisms. In a small number of cases, a living embryo can be observed in the ectopic pregnancy. Unfortunately, this embryo will die in the near future if observation is continued, and the mother's life remains in imminent danger from a life-threatening hemorrhage before and after the death of the embryo. And so what we know is an ectopic pregnancy is a non-viable pregnancy. The chance of viability for that embryo, for that baby, in an ectopic pregnancy is 0%. Why? Because the, it is not in the uterus. It's in the wrong place. And if left to continue, then, then mom's life is in danger and, and baby embryo it, it either already has passed or will pass very soon. And so when, when we say that a woman needs to go get a procedure and go to the emergency room because of an ectopic pregnancy, it is a non-viable pregnancy. So abortion is ending the life of a viable pregnancy. Now, again, on medical records, it may even list abortion because that is the incomplete pregnancy. And so even if you have a miscarriage, it may say spontaneous abortion on the medical records. Again, that is not what we traditionally are talking about when we're talking about Roe v. Wade, when we're talking about what abortion is or is not. But ectopic pregnancy is a procedure 
that, that needs to occur to save the life of a mom. And, and the baby in that case is either already passed or will pass very soon because the chance of viability in those cases is literally zero. So it's important that we have our, our terms correct here. And, and even the, the, the largest abortion provider in our country on their website up until just recently specifically said that the procedure for ectopic pregnancy was not a traditional abortion because they've known, we've all known. And, and so it, it's important to point out that there is no law <clears throat> in any state in the United States of America that would prohibit a doctor from intervening in an ectopic pregnancy to save the life of a mom. There is no law anywhere in our country that would prohibit a doctor from, from saving the life of a mom in those cases. Now, what I've seen over the last couple of weeks and, and even as recently as a couple of days ago, there was articles saying that some doctors in some parts of the country are hesitant to provide care for a woman facing ectopic pregnancy. That is a couple of things. That's either ignorance to, to what the law actually says, or it is purposely using politics to make points. And, and in doing that, they're putting people's lives in danger. Because again, there is no law anywhere that would prohibit a doctor from intervening in an ectopic pregnancy. There is no law anywhere that would prohibit a doctor from intervening and helping a mom after a miscarriage, period. It's just, not, it's just not the case. And so when we have these conversations and we talk about laws and we talk about what's, what's allowed and what's not allowed by a doctor in a hospital, ectopic pregnancies, again, up until June 24th, were never considered to be a traditional abortion. Yet all of a sudden, it now is. Why? Because it creates confusion. Even the other day in the hearing uh, in D.C., the congresswoman that was asking about ectopic pregnancies kept saying it's a non-viable pregnancy and and the person that she was questioning said exactly so it's not a traditional abortion because that's a non-viable pregnancy and and the the congresswoman kept getting louder and angry uh with with the witness on the stand why because the 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 congresswoman either doesn't understand fully what an ectopic pregnancy is and doesn't understand fully what the law says or is purposely trying to mislead and create confusion. And so what does this do? This, this may, means that there are some ladies out there that have had ectopic pregnancies. And now with this conversation coming up, they're wrestling with, well, did I have an abortion? I didn't think I had an abortion, but now I wonder, did I have an abortion? Why? Because confusion is started to come out. And so now then people go, well, I didn't realize that if Roe would be overturned, that, that ectopic pregnancies would be a problem. I didn't realize that women's lives would, would be in danger if Roe was overturned. Again, it's creating confusion. Let me be clear. There is no, no state in the union that has a law in the books that would prohibit a doctor from intervening in an ectopic pregnancy or in a miscarriage. It's very important that we are clear on that. And, and I don't know how to be any more clear. I mean, I've talked to OBs, I've talked to family docs, I've talked to nurse practitioners, I've talked to nurses, I've talked to attorneys, and they all agree ectopic pregnancy at no point has been considered a traditional abortion. And so it's important that we clarify these things. Now, what makes that difficult is we try to bring clarity, and then the president brings it up and says women facing ectopic pregnancies are in danger. 
Or we try to bring clarity and be honest and be logical. And then a congressperson will bring up that, that women are in danger because of laws on the books that, that prohibit doctors from providing care during an ectopic pregnancy. Those things are not true. And so we're going to continue to bring clarity. We're going to continue to use logic. And, and the, the hardest part is, and I had a conversation just the other day with someone, and I said, the, the problem is you're using logic in an illogical world. So when we try to come, with, come at this with logic and rational thought, in a, in a culture and society that refuses logic and rational thought, it does make it somewhat more difficult. But that doesn't mean we, we take our cues from the culture. No, we don't, we don't deceive. We don't make things up. We use logic. Even in, in difficult times, we use logic to have this conversation. And we stay calm. Why? Because right is right no matter what. Remember, I've said that before. The right thing is the right thing no matter the circumstances. That's how I raised my children. That's how I was raised. It's similar to what Clarence Thomas says, uh, Justice Thomas said, north is north. What did he mean by that? He said, whether you're in a tornado, you're out on the ocean in rough waters, you're in terrible circumstances, north is always north. And what he meant by that is no matter the climate that we're facing, whether it be political or culture upheaval or whatever is going on in our society, right is right no matter what. Doing the right thing is the right thing no matter what. And so that's why we seek to bring clarity on the issue of ectopic pregnancies and miscarriage and the laws that are on the books. So another question that we received is, do you anticipate the volume of patients to go up at Hope? Well, yeah, we, we do anticipate the volume going up. Abortion clinics have closed down. And so we do anticipate the number of patients that we're receiving, receiving to go up. Now, are we prepared for that? Certainly. Our phones were ringing pretty heavily right after uh, the Roe decision on June 24th because I think there was a sense of urgency. There were folks uh, afraid you know, they might have missed their, their period by one day and, oh, no, am I pregnant? And so they scheduled an appointment, and then it turns out they weren't. And so these are things that are coming. People are going to feel a sense of urgency if they can't get an abortion in, uh, in the time that they deem necessary. And so, yes, we anticipate our numbers going up. But when we come back, what I want to also let you know is this decision on June 24th was also freeing for some folks. They felt the pressure to get an abortion before June 24th. And then after Roe is overturned, now they feel the freeing decision. Oh, I can have this baby because I can't get an abortion now. And and they felt a, a weight lifted off of them because when Roe is in place and abortion is allowed, they almost feel pressure to go get the abortion because it's an option. When it's not an option, they feel like a weight's been lifted off of them. We'll talk about that more when we come back. Put that hunger in your heart. Put that fire in your soul. Your so as we continue kind of a Q&A of questions that have been submitted, <clears throat> I do want to point out again that for some, the decision of Roe being overturned was freeing. And, and, and to be honest, this was something that I didn't even think about. Uh, I didn't I didn't anticipate this coming, but we saw a patient leading up to June 24th that was adamant uh, that she was going to have an abortion. Tough circumstances and just thought that's the only option. 
They came back to us after Roe was overturned and their demeanor was different. Uh, they just were in a different place and they looked at our nurse and said, well, I'm not going to go out of state to get an abortion and I can't get one in the state of Tennessee, so I'm going to have this baby. And it was almost as if a weight was lifted off their shoulders. Because when Roe is the law of the land, for some folks, they're like, even if their family and friends don't vocalize it, they feel as if, well, I have to get this abortion because this is what people do that are in tough spots. And so I don't have a choice. I have to get the abortion. That's what my friends want. That's what my family wants. Even if the family and friends don't vocalize that, they start believing that. Why? Because abortion is readily available and easy to get. Well, you take that piece away. You overturn Roe, and then you, you, you take it back to the states, and there are certain states that, that are going to ban abortion. And, and it's almost as if for some of these folks, they're like, whew, good, I don't, I don't have to make that decision. I didn't want to make that decision anyway, but I felt pressure to and now I don't have to make that decision. I'm going to have this baby. So we got to think for some, this was a very freeing uh, court decision. Now, you're not going to hear about that in the news. You're not going to hear about that in interviews with the New York Times or, or at press conferences or anything like that. But, but that's the reality for, for many, many people. Another question that we received is, hey, do you think you're going to add additional centers like, like Franchise Hope Resource Center? Uh, no, I, I don't think we're there. Uh, we have great partners in, in bordering counties that are doing similar stuff to what we're doing at Hope. We have great partners here in, in Knoxville uh, and in our own county that are doing great work that we can refer out to. And so I don't think there's a need at this point to increase the number of centers. The reality is pregnancy centers already out, outnumbered uh, abortion clinics three to one. And then Charlotte Lozier put out a great, uh, a great graphic the other day that even in Tennessee, you're looking at not just pregnancy centers, but women health centers that do not provide abortions. Uh, they outnumber abortion clinics by like 43, 45 to 1. And so when people say, oh, you, you, you close the abortion clinics, where are the women going to go? Folks, there's all kinds of places for these women to go. Now, are there places, all kinds of places for them to go to end the pregnancy? No, not necessarily. But there's all kinds of places for them to go to find help. And so the question is, are we there to help? Or are we there simply to end the pregnancy? Because if you're going to claim to be pro-choice, you've got to know some people are going to choose life. They need to have the options in front of them. Are you going to help them? Or is the, the, the goal only abortion? Well, with the abortion industry, we know the goal is only abortion. How do I know that? I know that because when Roe was overturned, many of those clinics immediately stopped services, not just abortion, but all services. They make billions of dollars off of abortion. Again, if they care deeply about women, why are they charging them anything? You know, there's been a lot of uh, terrible things said about pregnancy centers lately. And I'll get in a second to some of the attacks that, that pregnancy centers have taken. But even the other day, Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts, the senator who ran for president just a few years back, in front of cameras said that we need to close every pregnancy center in the state of Massachusetts, but not just our state, around the country. Now, Elizabeth Warren said that. Why? Because she's pro-abortion. That's not a pro-choice statement. How many lives have been lost inside of a pregnancy center? Zero. That's the answer. You know, so so is they're saying things like, oh, they're deceiving people or, or they're manipulating women. That's not true. 
But you see, she has the platform, the platform that allows her to spat that nonsense in front of national media. And then they run with it. Why? Because the abortion narrative is the golden calf. The abortion issue is the golden calf. They don't care about what the polls say. They, they don't care about any of that. The, the, the golden calf is abortion, and we've got to shut these pregnancy centers down that are giving other options. You see, even the, the narrative in our society that says pregnancy centers are an alternative to abortion, I would flip that. No, abortion clinics are the alternative to pregnancy centers. You see, life is the primary choice, not the alternative choice. If you, if you choose to end your pregnancy, you are choosing an alternative to what naturally will happen, which is the birthing of a baby. So if you choose anything outside of life for your child and for that pregnancy, you are choosing an alternative. So don't call pregnancy centers an alternative. We're not. We're the primary choice. The alternative is the abortion clinic. And so the reason why they want to shut us down is because they know that ultrasound works and people change their mind. Also, there's no uh, denying that some of the same folks that are arguing this are also arguing that we have a population problem. We have too many people in population. And so in order to squelch the, the population, we need abortion. That, that would be Elizabeth Warren's belief. Elizabeth Warren also has argued that we need to set up uh, abortion clinics on federal lands, even to the point of putting tents up on federal lands to provide abortions in states that restrict it. So, so I'm sorry if I don't take her as sincere when she is bad-mouthing pregnancy centers. All she's trying to do, again, is to create confusion and shut up the, the, the one group of folks that are, that are being there for the women, that are providing baby showers, that are taking care of these ladies and taking care of these babies after they're born. Some people have asked, what are practical ways to help? How can we assist and, and be of service? I, I would start by saying pray. Look, and I know that sometimes that's cliche. I know sometimes we, we get to a place where, where ministries and, and, and folks will say, hey, just pray for us. But I'm not, I'm not doing that as a cliche or throwaway line. I, I'm asking you to pray for the work of pregnancy centers. Because some pregnancy centers around our country have been attacked physically, with buildings being burned or windows being busted or graffiti being, being spray-painted all over their walls and their signs and their sidewalk, there, what comes with that is some fear and anxiety in the staffs and volunteers of pregnancy centers. What comes with that is fear and anxiety in the spouses of staffs and volunteers of pregnancy center. And, and so I would say pray. Pray for our staff. Pray for our families. Uh, pray for a, a sense of peace. Because here's the reality. Those folks aren't attacking us. They're attacking a young lady that needs a pregnancy test. They're attacking a young lady that needs an ultrasound. They're attacking a family that's in a, in a tough spot. They're attacking a, a woman that's in an abusive relationship and needs a way out. So they think they're attacking the pregnancy center. They think that they can shut us up. It's not going to work. Because, again, as I've said before, poison or uh, hate and, and malice will eventually poison its carrier. That's the reality. We don't operate in that posture. We don't operate in a posture of fear. But we also are, are well aware of what's happening. And so I heard someone say, you, you trust God, but you row away from the rocks. And so certainly we trust God right now, but we're not going to be ignorant in, in the things that are going on. We're going to make sure we have security in place and the like. So I would say pray. Another option would be give. Maybe this is the moment that you partner with us. All of our services are free. You can go to investinghope.com and you can give. 
uh, that would be uh, an amazing partnership that we could continue with you that allows us to provide the pregnancy test, the ultrasounds, the STD testing and treatment, the well woman care, the, the parenting education, the, the baby showers, the mentoring, all those things cost money. And, and again, we don't charge our patient a dime. We don't charge the insurance company a dime. We don't charge the taxpayer a dime. And so as we do that, we need folks to partner with us. So you can give at investinghope.com. Maybe this is your time to mentor or volunteer. Maybe you want to wrap gifts for baby showers or provide food for parenting class, or you want to mentor a young mom. Or maybe you're a dude out there and you're like, hey, I'd love to, to mentor prospective dads. We have an option for that as well. Or look at our website. We, we'd love to connect you to that. Maybe now's the time that you foster or adopt. Welcome these families into your church. These are great opportunities for you to engage. Here's the reality. The church is adopting more than anyone. The, the church is fostering more than anyone. The church has been doing this work for a long time. All we got to do now is turn the volume up a little bit. We still have work to do, but, but the church is leading the way in that. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we continue this uh, kind of Q&A with questions that have been submitted, the, the next question that we've had is, what are Hope's plans for these families after the baby turns a year old? And so this kind of goes in line with some folks that will say, you're just pro-baby, you're not pro-life after birth. Uh, that is a myth, and it's nonsense, and, and frankly, oftentimes when I hear it, it, it makes me angry, um, but it is a myth. It, it's just not true, but I've heard it from believers. I've heard it from non-believers. I've heard it from pro-life people. I've heard it from pro-abortion people. Hey, all you, all you are is pro-baby. First off, I do want to let you know, I am unapologetically pro-baby. have no issue saying that. But to argue that we're not doing anything for these families after baby's born is just not true. Uh, it doesn't represent the work of pregnancy centers or the work of the church. Uh, but some of the things that we're, we're doing is we have postpartum classes where these ladies can meet with a physician about what that looks like and postpartum depression and, and being a mom and, and all those things after baby is born. We have community meetup, community groups that, that meet up uh, with these moms uh, you know, after baby is born. We continue to get them together. We're in the process right now of of rolling out a, a, a new program with a local church so it can be an easy handoff to the local church. We're not prepared to, to go into detail of that just yet, but once we get all the kinks worked out and get that rolling at this particular church, we have church already in the pipe, other churches in the pipeline ready to implement that as well, and we want to continue that to other churches. And so there's a number of things that we're going to do, but the biggest thing is partner with the local church uh, to, to continue to serve and love these these families. Uh, some other folks have reached out and said, hey, we just want to be equipped and educated on how to discuss these issues with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. And so uh, one thing I would recommend is, is uh, as humbly as I can, this podcast, this show, that is what I do. I mean, pretty much every week. And so if you're looking for, hey, what's a, what's a good way to talk about this issue? Just go back and listen to some of these uh, shows and, and and I do the best that I can to kind of walk through some some arguments, some debate topics, some some conversational topics as we as we engage with people. Uh, you can do that. But but other than that, I would simply say the comment thread on Facebook is not where you're going to have the best conversations. 
So if you feel like that is kind of where you thrive, I would I would tell you to kind of check that for a second. Uh, I, I used to be that. I'm a recovering addict when it comes to comment threads on Facebook. And so uh, how many people's minds did I change in the comment threads? Zero. And so I would I would say don't look for those moments. But but when this conversation comes up with with friends or family, people you have a relationship with, we do need to be able to have this discussion in a logical, calm fashion, kind of like how I started this this show today about ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages. We need to bring clarity to the issue. And so there has been a couple times since Roe was overturned where I've engaged with people because I have a relationship with them and they might have said something that I didn't agree with or they might have said something that just wasn't true. And so I brought clarity to that issue. Now, not every time do they just go, oh, great, that's a great point. I agree with you. But in some cases, they do. So I'm not telling you to just kind of look for those moments and ruin family dinners or, or things like that. But we do need to know how to talk about these issues. Because the reality is you have people like me that are, that are firmly grounded in their pro-life stance. And no one is going to change my mind. And then you have people on the other extreme that are firmly grounded in their abortion belief, and no one is going to change their mind. They believe that abortion is a right. They believe that you should be able to have an abortion up to nine months. But the vast majority of the populace are somewhere in between. They don't know. They don't know where they stand. You know, am I pro-choice? Am I pro-life? The latest poll out of Harvard, I I think I mentioned it last week, but the latest poll out of Harvard shows that 74% of women now, Harvard is not a pro-life institution, but their poll said 74% of women agreed with the law out of Mississippi, the Dobbs law, that said we should have a 15-week ban. 69% of men believe we should have a 15-week ban on abortion. So anyone saying that all the, the American people believe we should have abortion on demand at any point in time, they're, they're not being honest. And if, if you have pro-lifers saying that, well, everybody agrees we shouldn't have abortion at all, we're, they're not being honest. There's people all across and in between somewhere. And so, yes, the majority of the American people believe we should at least have a 15-week ban. That's why what you're going to see after Roe being overturned is you're going to see some states go all in, no abortion. Some states go all in, all the abortions. And then many states in between where they have restrictions at different levels in time. And so these are things that we need to know and be aware of. Also, it's important that we talk about uh, what we see in society. And I've said it before. If you go to ride a, a ride at a theme park, it, they ask you if you're pregnant. That's to protect the baby. We know that intrinsically. We know there's a baby inside. That's why we don't want to see people smoke or drink while they're pregnant. Why? To protect the baby. You don't take certain medications while you're pregnant. Why? To protect the baby. Because we know as a society that that's a human. That's a life. And we want to protect it. But yet our laws oftentimes say something very different. That's why when, when someone is, is killed by a drunk driver and they're pregnant, that's why it's so upsetting because there's a baby involved as well. That's why in most states, that person is going to be charged with two deaths, not just one. Now, New York has changed that. Illinois has changed that. But still, the majority of states are going to prosecute that person for two deaths, not just one. We, we know that intrinsically, but sometimes we get caught up in the nonsense of the day. And so look for those moments. Look for those opportunities to have those conversations and be prepared. Here's what I've found. The pro-life folks have thought deeply about this issue. The, the pro-abortion folks have not. 
And why is that? It's because the pro-abortion folks at any point in time could, could simply say it's a woman's right or it's a constitutional right. Well, you take that argument away from them, and now they're going to have to defend why we need abortion up to nine months. This isn't about rape, incest, life of the mother. They're going to have to defend elective abortions up to nine months. They've never had to defend that because they could always say, well, it's a, a constitutional right. So you now take that away. It's always been up to the pro-lifer to defend their position. That is no longer the case. The ball now is in their court to defend their position. So this isn't about life of a mother, rape, or incest. This is about someone at seven months pregnant saying, I just don't want this child. How do you defend that? Doctors willingly performing those procedures. How do you defend that? And what I've seen since June 24th is these folks have not been prepared to defend that, whether it be at a committee hearing or in front of a news camera. I also want to let you know kind of where we are in the state of Tennessee. That's another question is what, what does this mean for the state of Tennessee? So you, you've probably heard me talk about the trigger bill. Uh, if not here, you, you've heard it in other places. Well, when Rose overturned, Tennessee has a trigger law in place. Well, right now, that trigger law is not currently the law of the state of Tennessee. That goes into effect 30 days after the Roe decision. So 30 days after June 24th, the trigger law will take place. Right now, what we have in Tennessee is a six-week ban on abortion. Now, now how, do we, how did we get there? Well, in 2019, we passed what was coined the, the heartbeat bill. And the heartbeat bill said as soon as the heartbeat is present, you can no longer have an abortion in the state of Tennessee. Now, they deemed that to be around six weeks, so they put a six-week ban in place. This six-week ban was under court order, had an injunction on it that said it could not be uh, kind of put out there. It couldn't, couldn't, we couldn't operate under that law in the state of Tennessee because the court said so. Well, then you factor in June 24th, Roe being overturned, the attorney general of the state of Tennessee went to that court and said, now that Roe is overturned, you need to lift this injunction because now we can have a law in place that restricts abortion at six weeks. The court agreed. And so the Wednesday after June 24th, they uh, lifted the injunction. And so currently in the state of Tennessee, we have a six-week ban. Now, what does that six-week ban do? It says you cannot have an abortion after six weeks. The only exception is physical life of the mother. Now, why do I say physical? Because the, the state of Tennessee was very intentional in how they worded this. Because life of the mother has taken on a, a very broad meaning since 1973. Life of the mother could mean mental health. It could mean, hey, I'm just not feeling it today. I lost my job. It could be a number of things. Well, well Tennessee said, we don't consider those things life of the mother. We consider the mother's physical life. Like she could die if this procedure is not uh, done. And so in Tennessee, the only exception is physical life of the mother, and it's a six-week ban. Once the trigger law takes place, it will take over, and that is an outright ban. It won't even be at six weeks. It'll just be no abortion in the state of Tennessee with the only exception for physical life of a mother. The last thing I want to do is kind of give you some stats. Now, look, I, I want to preface this by saying stats are important, when I'm having conversations with, uh, with policymakers, legislatures, the governor's office, anybody like that, stats are very important. Why? Because stats allow us to go, okay, what policy is going to affect the most people? We need to look at the statistics and the data to see how to craft that legislation. But when I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone, stats may or may not be the go-to. Why? Because if, if I give a stat, 
they might have faced something. So if I say rape and incest and, and give the stats, they may go, well, I was a victim of rape and incest. So to them, that 1% or 0.5% number means nothing because to them it happened 100%. It happened and it hurt. And so I'm not going to throw a data point to them that that's not going to help in the, in that case. It's kind of like when my wife had a miscarriage, the doctor looked at us and said, well, one in three pregnancies ended miscarriage. Do you think that brought us comfort in that moment? Like, oh, it happens to a lot of people, so good, I'm, I'm fine then. No, of course not. Because we're not a data point. To us, we had never had a miscarriage before, and we had one, and it was traumatic for my wife. And we went into mourning. And so data points at that, at that moment in time meant nothing. If anything, it, it hurt. And it made us change who our OB was at the time because of that and because of the way they handled that. And so be, be careful in using those data points. Again, when we're talking about overarching policy, data points matter. And so when we come back, I'll walk you through some data that's from Guttmacher, which is a pro-abortion research institute. And I want to share, share their data with you because it's important that we look at that. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, I do want to give you some of these stats because these stats, these stats are, are important as we talk about policy. And so what happened with Roe being overturned is it sends things back to the states. So when we send things back to the states, when we send it and the state can decide at that point, we're at a place where we are um, we're, we're looking at, okay, what's the data say? And so if the data says this about abortion, then maybe our policy should say X, Y, or Z. Now, granted, there are going to be some folks that look at this data and go, that's why we need to make abortion uh, readily available to anyone. And then there's going to be other folks that look at this data and say, that's exactly why we need to make uh, restrictions on abortion. But these, these stats are from Guttmacher, so it's not a pro-life institute. Now, I think that's important because some people would say, oh, you're just giving these stats to help your cause as a pro-lifer. But that's not the case. 74% of people that have an abortion do so because having a baby would dramatically change their life. 74% of all abortions are done because having a baby would dramatically change someone's life. 73% say they cannot afford a baby. They cannot afford a baby. 48% say they don't want to be a single mother or they're in a bad relationship. So 48% of those that choose abortion do so because they don't want to be a single mom or they're in a difficult relationship. 38% of folks that get an abortion do so because they don't want any more kids. They have all the kids they want. They don't want to have any more, and so they choose abortion. 1% choose abortion because of rape, and 0.5% choose abortion because of incest. So look. The reason people bring up the rape, incest, life of the mother uh, argument, again, is because they're wanting to create confusion. It isn't as if they would agree to a piece of legislation that restricted all abortions except in those cases. No, they wouldn't. Again, they believe abortion is sacred. They've said as much in articles and in press conferences. And so when they say things like, Oh, well, y'all won't even do exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother. 
they're, they're trying to get you. They're trying to, uh, to pull at heartstrings, and they're trying to use a, uh, a nonsensical argument because they're acting as if, well, if pro-lifers would just compromise, then, then we could agree on legislation. No, they're, the only ones that ever compromise on this issue is the pro-lifer. Because the, the abortion industry and those seeking laws and those standing beside Roe, there is no compromise. Because it, when asked, now, now think about this, in the last presidential election, you had all the Democratic candidates standing on stage. And when asked, do you believe there should be any restrictions on abortion? I believe the only one that said there should be any restrictions was Tulsi Gabbard. And she has been the, uh, she's been hated by the party because of that. Because she dare say what Joe Biden believed for 30 plus years, what Hillary Clinton believed for 30 plus years, what Barack Obama believed, what Bill Clinton believed, what, what Jimmy Carter believed. She dare say what they had believed for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden that has changed. So, so when they say, no, we believe abortion should be up to the woman and the doctor, when they say that it's a woman's right, when they say that even up to delivery, and they have said this on the record in interviews and in front of committees, that even right before baby is born, the mom should have the right and the doctor should have the ability to end that pregnancy. That is what they believe. So, so there is no compromising on their end, yet they're, they're telling us to compromise. And here's the thing, if we believe it's a life, and we believe life has value, intrinsic value, that it's its own unique person, then no matter the scenario, we should protect life. And so when, when they say, well, if y'all would just have exceptions, no, no, that's not the case. They, don't, they wouldn't agree to those pieces of legislation at all. And then, and then when you look at the data in terms of policymaking, the data doesn't even support their argument. So, so hopefully what, what you got today was kind of answered to a lot of questions that, that maybe you've had or you've thought about or you've heard other people ask, and hopefully we brought some clarity to that. We'll, be ha- we'll have this on our, on our website, on the podcast page, uh, and we'll be sharing this with folks. So it, all we're seeking to do is bring clarity, answer some questions. If you have more questions, you can reach out to us uh, on our website or social media, and we'll be happy to engage with you. Thank you so much for standing with us and partnering with us. We'll talk to you next time.